Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burntorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. The visibility, share this with your friends, subscribe wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. We are at all of the places where you can find podcasts. I also want to remind you, if you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners the opportunity of a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off their first three months of those premium services. And all you got to do is go to Podient, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, and sign up using the offer code Longhorn. Now, I love Podient. I've used them since I started podcasting over three or four years ago and they just, they hit, it's been the easiest thing I've ever done. They handle all the technical stuff. Kyle and I record, we edit it, we upload it and it's done from there. I don't have to do anything else. So again, if you really want to start your own podcast, I want to make it easy for you. Check it out. Podient. That's P O D I A N T dot C O sign up using the offer code longhorn. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by my good friend, the illest, the realest, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing, bud? Hey, I am. I am excited. It's uh, it's that part of, of the year of life where it's uh, things are coming and replenishing anew. Uh, the soccer, uh, English soccer started. That's, to me, the first sign that sports are back. Um, preseason and, and you know, kind of spring games and practice are fine. But, I mean, I really love this season of of life when uh, we're getting closer to fall weather hopefully will start cooling down football in both forms uh english and otherwise will be will be coming back um this is good time so i am i'm giddy with the excitement that, that something is starting anew um and just in, in really good mood so how about you man i'm great like i'm doing really really well i think uh football is inching closer i made some really tough decisions in my dynasty fantasy football league yesterday you know, nice. yeah. When you have Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, you got to decide which one you want to cut, and that was tough. Uh, but no, I'll, overall, I'm doing good. Those are good. To, these are good problems to have, Kyle. Uh, good <laughs> problems to have, and that may actually be a theme later on in today's show. So we're gonna do a bit of news, and then as we've done for the last 12 weeks, which is just insane to talk about. We've got one more preview to do. We're gonna do our own preview, the Texas Longhorn preview, in the style of the ones that we've done before, and then obviously we'll close the show out with some bang. The drum. So our first bit of news for the week is some transfer news. It seems like the depth chart is starting to uh, shake out a little bit, and that means that some older guys that may have been passed on the depth chart by some younger guys are on their way out. So uh, John Bonney and uh, Eric Cuffey both announced this week that they would be transferring out of the university. Bonney uh, graduated in December. He was getting ready to work on his master's degree, so he has the option of grad transferring out. He landed at Texas Tech, and he'll be available to play immediately for the uh, the Red Raiders there. Uh, Cuffey transferred to Trinity Valley Junior College, so he'll play there for a year or so and then hopefully transfer back to a Division One school. Now, there's not a ton of news there. Those guys, you know, Bonnie getting past, we seem to happen. Uh, Cuffey hadn't really seen the field a ton in his time at, at Texas. So really the big question uh, becomes the, the situation where, you know, John Bonney transfers in conference from the University of Texas to Texas Tech, and we actually got a question on Twitter uh, about this. So thanks for starting up this conversation. But, you know, when Tech is in a rebuilding year and their defense, like we talked about a few weeks back, is probably going to be the strong suit. This is a team that came in and, and beat Texas uh, to, to kind of almost cap a, a 
better end to the season a year ago. Why do you let a guy like John Bonney end up at one of your in-state rivals to uh, possibly hurt you down the line? I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's threefold, right? I think the first and foremost thing is that uh, we've talked about it a lot, like this, the civility and these are, these are humans and these are people that first and foremost as a, as a coach, uh, and as a program, you want them to go on and be successful. They're a longhorn for life. He's a graduate of UT. Um, you know, so, so congrats to him, first of all, for graduating and, and having the opportunity to do this. But, I mean, we want these guys to go do what they want. I think in an ideal world, um, you know, this is more of the case of, of what happens. And I know we've talked about the transfer process in college football. But, you know, it, that's fine. If it's, you know, if it's uh, your, your number one player at a key position, who's doing it and, and seems more spiteful than, than I get maybe why you're a little more careful about it. But, you know, I don't think tech who already has a pretty good defense. I don't, I don't think that, you know, necessarily this is the one piece that puts them over the top. It's, it, I mean, it, it'll be interesting when we play them, how it looks. Um, but I think that the second piece of this is that it's very clear that, that John Bonney was not um, going to be a key contributor for, uh, for UT or as much, I guess, at least that he thought, um, I mean, he's he's been on campus for for literally forever. He, he played 37 games, uh, can play all over the secondary. Um, improve from like as a freshman, I hated seeing him on the field because he just made some bonehead plays. Um, but that kind of tells you, and we'll get to it in our preview, the talent level that's there that you can let a guy with that much experience go and still feel okay about it. it didn't seem like the coaches were you know really pushing back on him. And and um, and kind of the third the third piece of it, like I said, is is um, you know. I think that means that Tom Herman is pretty confident and he doesn't think uh, he doesn't think that tech is a team that was one piece away from beating him or that his defense is, you know, one piece losing one piece away from, um, you know, unraveling. I think it's a pretty, should give you a little bit of a, a belly feeling of like, all right, you know, this is a, this is a good team. And and we need that. We need that, you know, a little bit of confidence is okay. We don't need to be overconfident, but I think, uh, I think a good, good dose of confidence is okay. So, I mean, I'm okay with it. I wish him luck. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about uh, uh, Eric uh, Cuffe, Cuffy, Cuffy, I believe. Um, I want to give him the French, but uh, Cuffy, you know, I think last year he was the guy who's like, hey, maybe uh, he's at risk of getting passed. Okay. And then this year is like looking at the, the depth chart, like, ooh, he's probably at a good risk of getting passed. So I think what happened is he got passed on the depth chart. So good luck to him as well. Uh, we always curious to see where guys who transfer out end up, you know, with the rest of their career. You know, John Bonney has had completed his, his commitment to the university. He is a guy who got his undergrad degree, did everything that he was asked, you know, was able to earn his T ring. Congratulations. That's the one thing in my life that I will never be able to earn that I've always wanted to earn. Uh, But he, he completed his commitment to the university. And, you know, at some point you've got to be okay with that. Like you can't really say, no, I want to control you. I want to, and again, at at some point, these are people and these are kids. Like he, yeah, he's a twenty one year old kid who managed to graduate in three and a half years, and so let him let him go and do what he wants to. And again, like you said, if he's getting passed on the depth charts by a guy like Caden Stearns, which we'll talk about in our in our preview, then you obviously think that what you've got going on is better, and that you know what, he's not going to be the guy that beats you. And if a John Bonney interception against Texas Tech <laughs> is what clinches that game, then so be it. But uh, <sighs> there are things that are bigger than football, 
And if Texas is in a situation where a John Bonney interception is what seals the deal, then there are bigger problems because as we talked about a few weeks ago, you, me, and most of the Texas Tech faithful think that that offense could be a tire fire. Yeah. So there's there's a lot more going on there than just Tech beat us a year ago. Their defense is good. Let's not let them end up there. So some more transfers happened. This actually came down, uh, I think, like the day of the show. But uh, Davion Curtis, wide receiver, is also looking elsewhere. Uh, so he had been passed on the depth chart not just this year, but last year and maybe the year before as well. Uh, but he is uh, he's looking elsewhere. Wide receiver seems to be an embarrassment of riches at some point for Texas. So do you see this impacting the offensive production at all? Do you see uh, this be becoming an issue with, I mean, now this is, this becomes what the fifth guy to transfer out. Uh, at some point things are uh, guys are, guys are leaving and they are, are not looking back. Yeah. It's interesting. We, we talked about this being a very quiet off season when not much and that, that has changed a lot in the past uh, month from, from where it went. And, but I still don't think it's, it's terrible. It's a natural attrition and it's, it's more than, you know, an attrition of like, Oh gosh, we're going to need him. And we lost him. It's, it's an attrition of like, we have, we're finally getting some depth, some talent, some three deep where we have guys who can get in. And so guys who are roster fillers, and, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all, but guys who are on the roster um, and, and weren't going to see playing time, but just, you know, hold a spot on the team. Um, you know, they have to think really long and hard about what they do. And I think um, Curtis is one of those guys who always looked good um, in scrimmages and practices whenever you see him or, you know, in, in, in the spring game, if he gets some action, always looked good, but never was able to get his head above the pack. And I think certainly this year was not, you know, injuries willing or some, some catastrophe, you know, uh, going to be going to be thrust into the action much. And again, I can't fault a kid for saying, hey, I'm going to go elsewhere and play. But again, that to me, that speaks to the health of the program when your attrition is that way, where it's guys who aren't, you know, who have been here a little while are, are getting passed by guys who are, you know, who are more um, seasoned and or not seasoned, but but uh, poised to, to break in. That, that reminds me back of the good old days of Texas when we, we definitely this is not a new thing. We've always had attrition, but it's because, you know, like we I joked about Alabama being so stocked at the top. That's what Texas should be. It should be tough to get. I want to be in a place where we're not getting guys, you know, like we've had this year transfer in who are going to be immediate contributors where it's tough to do that because Texas is so stocked. Yeah. And I mean, when you bring in a class as talented as that class a year ago, I mean, it was the number three class in the nation. And a lot of the analysis of it was a lot of these guys at the top of the class are day one starters. Mm -hmm. And so that attrition is meant to happen when those types of things happen. And, and, Again, this is not to, to beat a dead horse. I think this continues to be a little bit of, of a statement about um, the previous regimes and their abilities to recruit and develop. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we had one of the last few Mac Brown guys transfer out and John Bonney. I mean, he's one of, right. he was one of four guys on the roster that committed to Mac Brown, you know, Beck, Gerard Hurd and Patrick Vahe. Um, the other two were, were Charlie strong guys. So I think this kind of proves what we've been saying for, what seems the better half of a decade, basically the end of Mac's career in, in Charlie's tenure at Texas is there was something, something wasn't right in the sauce as far as recruiting and now analyzing and, and developing talent goes. And so I think uh, this just continues to prove that I think Texas is moving in the right direction as far as being able to get players and get the top talent into burnt orange. But we are, 12 days away from kickoff, Kyle. 12 days away from our first Texas Longhorn game of the fall. 
you know what we're doing we're doing a surrender fish here hands on the head just so excited uh so we've done for the last 12 13 weeks we've done uh previews where we've interviewed the experts on every team and so kyle and i are far from experts but we figured we'd end our summer coverage with a texas preview so we're going to go deep this is probably going to be a long series we're going to try to go group by group we may not spend a lot of time on particular groups uh where there's not much to talk about but it seems like there's a lot of talk about on at least the offensive side of the ball so let's start where probably isn't the the most popular place to start, but is probably the most pivotal thing to talk about, uh, and that's the offensive line. Uh, so a year ago, the offensive line, I don't want to say it was a hot mess, but it was kind of a hot mess. Uh, paper thin in a lot of spots. A lot of guys that probably wouldn't have played normally ended up being pressed into service because of the lack of depth and injury problems, but it seems like the offensive line may be significantly deeper and significantly more talented heading into this year. Uh, so Kyle, you know, Calvin Anderson, grad transfer coming in, um, some senior experience, some guys that got some reps. How do you feel about this offensive line group heading into 2018? Like you started right off the top with Calvin Anderson. I mean, 2018's recruiting class was was already number three, and then you you in the country, and then you add in um, the fact that you're you're basically also bringing in not just an immediate starter, but an immediate anchor, um, a guy who is expected to be you know the the most solid and stable um, on this line. So if he proves to be that, I think you you could make the argument you know that this goes from being the number three to the number one class in the country you know just because uh the talent plus the talent that the transferred in we'll talk in the running back position as well but um you know i think where i'm looking starts starts with him first because you know replacing connor williams uh who didn't play last year a lot of the season or the majority of the season due to injury but um in in ethos and in spirit as being kind of the anchor on that left tackle um is a big task connor williams is playing on on uh, Sundays in the preseason right now, but for the Cowboys and, and has the potential to be a long-term NFL prospect and, and hopefully a future Hall of Famer, Connor Williams. But you're coming in and, and um, he's leaving a, a culture, you know, he seems like a fantastic kid saying all the right things, doing all the right things, has the right upbringing, has the right um, skill set. Um, you know, uh, he was on a bad team, uh, right? He, he, you know, he was on a bad Rice team and he, he, he has a chance to come in and for the first time really, be on a winning team and a, and a potentially really, really good winning team. So I think he, the excitement level has to be there for him. And he came to Texas with the idea that he was going to the next, next level. So I think for me, it starts with him. And then the next thing that, you know, obviously for me, the, the next name that's and probably even more well-known for Longhorn fans, maybe the casual fan is Patrick Vahe. Cause he's been here a long time. He's got 31 starts. Um, he's really a fantastic run blocker. Um, I think, he has a little bit more to show. I think Anderson, we know what we're getting with him for the most part over his, his time at Rice. I think Vahe, we know what we got from him. We know the flashes we've seen. And we're kind of ready to see what the fully realized Vahe um, looks like. Um, he, he is, in my mind, uh, as a pulling you know guard on the move, one of the best run-blocking guards, again, in, in that situation when he's got a step moving in the country. I think he he's shown that, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, but that's a kind of a particular skill set, and you need to be – he needs to now be the anchor of a line because he's been here. He's played, like I said, all of those games, and he's he's been an institution. And so kind of watching him 
for these last games that we get him and seeing what he goes to. I know you have a, uh, a particular affinity um, for, uh, for, for linemen in general, but especially the, uh, the Islander uh, linemen. So, so, I mean, I'll, I'll pass it back to you, I guess. Uh, um, I obviously took the, the low hanging fruit at the left, but if you, what do you think about Vahe or, or any of the other, other potential starters? I think Vahe last year, his deficiencies were more notable because there was such flux at the offensive line. Um, you know, you look at two years ago and that that offensive line unit was significantly better because it was consistent. And Vahe next to, uh, you know, NFL caliber guys looks more like an NFL caliber guy. Uh, it cleans up some of his pass blocking deficiencies and lets him really shine as a nasty mean in the trenches guy. So I think, uh, you know, being next to Anderson, who fancies himself an NFL caliber guy uh, who you know reports are he struggled a bit catching the speed of playing at Texas uh, rather than Conference USA ball, which it happens. Um, you know what? But but now all the rumors are he's he's going to be the guy. So I think. That left side, I feel good about, uh, which is an important side for me. You know, um, Shackelford, he had some issues last year, but I think that year of experience, I think um, the center has to be the smartest guy on the offensive line and sometimes the smartest guy on the offense, period. So I think Shackelford has a lot resting on his shoulders if he's the guy in the middle um, because he's the one that's got to call the coverages. He's got to call the blocking schemes. He's got to point out when they need to make an audible. You know, I played center for a little bit in high school and that was was the toughest part of the job is being able to read a linebacker and say, okay, they're probably blitzing over here. We're supposed to pull. That's not going to work because then the offensive, the, the lineman's going to be in the the guard's hip pocket. So, you know, you've got to make those calls. And so I think if, if Shackelford can progress and play up to the level that I think he's capable of playing, I think the kind of 60% of that offensive line is doing really good right guard. We've got question marks in the show notes about, um, you know, whether it's Rodriguez or Hudson. And then I think Okafor on the on the right side, I think, rounds out that five. Yeah, and, and it, I would agree that there's a little bit of question on the right side. I think Okafor, you know, it's a tough when you look at you look at guys like Shackleford and Okafor and, and even some of the other guys we're going to talk with depth. Um, it's a little bit tough and it's emblematic of the problems, the 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 kind of death of the glorious Texas line tradition that we saw before. Um you look at Shackelford's a guy who, you know, was kind of offered up for sacrifice as a, as a freshman where he had to play through ankle injuries and, and really cost him that time to really in the offseason get better because he was hurt. Um, you know, he, he couldn't get his conditioning or his, or his, his kind of young 18-year-old dude. That's a huge thing for alignment is those offseasons um, in your first couple of years really turning into a college-type body, getting that lower lower body strength, getting that conditioning right, getting the muscle, you know, going from being a big dude with potential to being a, you know, a big monster, you know, who's toned and, in, 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 you know, strong in the right areas. Um, kind of same thing with, with Okafor, who just got some snaps at the end of his freshman year enough to, to lose his shirt under Charlie. Um, and then kind of thrown in as a sophomore. And, and he seems to have really taken that step um, this offseason. Because last year, you know, I, I think the quarterbacks did not love him. Um, there was a couple times he just whiffed and, and you know, gave gave them up truly for, for you know, to a sacrificial, sacrificial lamb. Um, so, you know, um, I think those two guys are going to benefit from that. I think Elijah Rodriguez is a guy who, can play all over the line and, and he brings, you know, some flexibility and can, truly he can probably be, um, can probably be at a tackle if, you know, we need to shift around, but I think guard is where he'll slot in. Um, 
you know, I think him missing missing time as well and being hurt, it shows that we need the guys and, and Hudson as well. We need the guys to to be healthy, and, and that's a knock on wood moment. Is is um, play where you are, and then and then you know have have other guys. I think you said you 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 feel like you know there's probably six or seven guys who you feel comfortable if they're you know starting the game there. Um, you know, I think this this could be as much as eight or nine that you know that truly it's not going to kill us and we're in a better place than we've been. Um, I think a guy who played last year, who uh, kind of, again, another example of that uh, is Derek Kerstetter, who who could have benefited from, from another year of development, but forced in, but he uh, is going to be a useful rotation guy, but has been passed by, by Cosme. I think Sam Cosme who did get to red shirt is really seeing that pay off. You're seeing Yancey McKnight kind of, at work with a dude who's coming in and looks like a college player, looks like a big 12 division one power five, you know, uh, machine out there. Who's, who's ready to, to mollywop some dudes. And so, um, you know, uh, he's a guy who I think is the most intriguing out of this whole line group. I mean, Hudson as well, who's, who's a specimen, but I think Cosme, the way people are talking about him, the way he looks has a chance to um, get in the rotation this year and then be the guy once, Anderson's gone, maybe he's the long-term fit at, at tackle. So talking long-term, talking more than one year, talking more than we have to put out this fire shows that this, the key positional group for, for Texas in 2018 is a little bit better. It's a little bit more stable, a little bit more. You can catch your breath and you don't have to be so, so harried and, 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 and just kind of stressed about where they are. Two things that I'll hit before we spend 15 full minutes on the offensive line. Uh, but you mentioned Cosme. Cosme's a guy who excites the heck out of me because when all the talk about Anderson struggling early in camp, Cosme was the guy that was on everybody's lips as the guy who could come in. And he was not just working at left tackle, but he was working at every spot that's not center. And so I think that's that shows the level of talent there. And I think the fact that there are nine guys that can play in the rotation, one you don't end up with gassed linemen in the fourth quarter when you're trying to hold off a pass block when you're in a, when you're in a two minute drill or when you're in a you know seven minute drill and try to kill some clocks. I think that's huge when you can have a rotation of nine guys and keep a relatively fresh body on the field. But I think the other kind of even the bigger upside to this is that now you can sit and redshirt four guys and get them an extra year of experience. Christian Jones, who was was not a top 250 guy. He was, you know, a top 100 guy in the state of Texas, but he's got some talent. He's got some size. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Rafiti Gramai, who is a top 50 guy, and he's a big old fella, and he could he could be that, that anchor. Um, you know, you've got... Junior Angelau, who I'm drooling over again. Uh, so I think the fact that you can redshirt those three guys is huge because they're not going to be pressed into into service. You know, Lord forbidding that there you know is another just train wreck at offensive line as far as injuries go. Uh, good Lord, fellas, don't roll up on each other. So I think that that for me is outside of this year just being better offensively. The fact that those are three guys that can get an extra year of development. And again, I think Gramai and and Angelau are guys that if it if they needed to could come in and start and play. But if you don't have to, why do it? The, the numbers that I'm looking at, 102 is the number of returning starts if you count uh, Andersons at Rice coming back this year. 103 is where UT ranked in sacks last year. 95 in rushing. Um, Herb Hand is is saying all the right things it seems like he's doing all the right things this is a this is a group specifically that you're going to see 
two phenomenal coaches at their craft in Herb Hand and Yancey McKnight make some of the biggest dividends. And I think if they can move some of those numbers, if they can move, you know, Saxon rushing into the 40s or 50s, even I'm not asking for, you know, or, you know, rushing even the 60s, if, if we can make that level of improvement, um, then I think that's the difference between a couple wins right off the bat, um, just from just from this group. And that's why we spent so long talking about it, because I think it's important. I think this this right here, this is the, you know, this is the the, the, the coal train on the on the uh, the coal cart on the train. This is where you're throwing in the engine room. This is where all the things happen. This is where you're able to determine, you know, how much time you have for receivers or quarterbacks, what running backs do. I mean, this is it. This is Texas offense that, that has, you know, was so terrible last year. This is where those gains um, pay off. And this is where you see what the wins and loss record, I think ultimately looks like is, is on how, how well you think this, this group steps up. If you wonder why we spent eight minutes talking about the offensive line, go look up the number of NFL starts for the guys that blocked for Vince Young and Colt McCoy. And I'll just leave it at that. But moving on. So we know that the offensive line is kind of the linchpin of the offense. The way this goes is the way that the offense goes. Uh, Running back is another spot that I think can be pivotal to what this offense can do. We can we saw two years ago what happens when you have a good running back that can bring balance to your offense. Uh, and we saw last year what happens when your top guy gets 381 yards. <laughs> we've seen that. So we've seen both sides of the coin in the last two years. Uh, so there's been a little bit of shakeup in the offense as far as running backs. Uh, Trey Watson transferred in from Cal. Um you know, uh, Tennille Carter is is still there. Danny Young is still there. Keontae Ingram, a guy who we've been salivating over trying to get in burnt orange, is back. Kirk O'Grines is, is back. So there's some depth. There's some talent. But man, who's going to be the guy in the backfield when, when Texas heads up to, uh, to, not Maryland, but I guess D.C. to play uh, its first game? Uh, I I will be up there for that game, and I am a man who loves a good uh, who loves a good prop bet. Um, so I I will have a, a few standing prop bets, but one of them will certainly be uh, who takes the first carry of 2018, the first time the ball uh, is handed. And I hope it's not like a quarterback draw just to mess with me because I really don't want to see it, uh, regardless of who's behind center. Um, but uh, I think the first handoff uh, of the 2018 season, if I'm if I'm guessing, is it's it goes to Danny. Um, and then that's not to say he's the most talented guy on the roster, has the most physical tools um, or or really, you know, will be the, the guy who gets the last carry of 2018. Um, but I think where he stands right now, um, and especially with like we'll talk about Watson and, and Keontae Ingram and where they are on the, on the curve of getting ready for to play for Texas. But I think Young has all of the things that that genetic wall of a running back, you know, um, he has all <laughs> all of the, the soft skills, the you know, he good feet, the forward lean, the, the, the elusiveness that isn't a physical thing, elusiveness, like he's so shifty and fast and whatever, just knows how to body faint a little and, and, and kind of get that extra, extra yard as he falls, you know, um, he runs hard. Um, he, he's also a good receiver out of the backfield, which I think is going to be helpful again, especially if, if, you know, the line is still coming together in the beginning and we're, you know, need that, that, that option and that valve uh, for the quarterbacks um, a lot. I, I think he's the guy um, in the beginning. I think, where, where it comes under that is, is a little bit fluid. And, and Tennille Carter is a guy who, you know, last year got the other, you know, lion's share of the carries. Um, but he has the big playability, I think, in the, in the open field um, that we've seen. I think Trey Watson will bring that as well. Um, he, you know, he had some fumble issues. 
he wasn't the best uh, blocker last year, but it sounds like they really worked on that. And, and if he gets that right, he might see some more of the field. I think having a more uh, kind of robust mix in the backfield also doesn't have the Tennille Carter, who's wearing the uh, wearing the the red cap in practice on the top of his helmet to say, hey, this is the outside rush guy. You know, it's like a bullseye. They put him in and he, he, he was pretty predictable. Um, so getting some more to his game and, and, and getting some of the other guys to step up and can do other things, I think makes the committee more dangerous and less predictable. Yeah. And, and I think you said something in there about Danny Young kind of having checking all the boxes. He's just a guy that I feel like has earned it. Like he, when, when he was called upon a year ago, he was consistent. Like you knew you were going to get four yards of carry out of him, which four yards of carry on first and second down puts you at third and two which is an enviable position to be in. So I think if if you have a guy that you know with a decent set of blocks can get you four yards a carry, I don't really need anything else. Like, there's nothing else I need out of that. And so, you know, when, um, you know, when the bowl game came around and when, um, you know, Tennille Carter was suspended for whatever that may have been, um, you know, Danny Young came in and capitalized on the situation. And I think you are who your last performance was. And Danny Young's last performance was 112 yards and a touchdown. Like, you know, total combined yardage, 48 rushing yards, 64 receiving yards and a score. So he is a hundred yard and a score player. And that's kind of what you need is a hundred plus and a score. If, if gun to my head, I think first game you see Danny Young as a running back on the first two plays. And then Trey Watson comes in on third down because he seems to be the more dynamic catch the ball in the flats kind of guy. And that's, a great weapon to have because when coverage breaks down and you can find um, Trey Watson in the flat and he can make one guy miss and get right across the sticks, that's fantastic. I think, you know, Tennille Carter is is a flashy play guy and he showed some of that a year ago, but I, I'm old school guy and I can't have a running back that fumbles. Like if, if you are going to fumble the ball, you cannot play running back for me. And granted, I'm not a coach, but that's, that's where my mind goes. And I think, you know what, if Ingram doesn't need to play this year, redshirt him. Unpopular opinion. If he does not need to play, then redshirt him. Like he may be the most talented running back on the team, but imagine how much more talented he's going to be when he has an extra year that he can practice and not get hit. You know, I would, I would die to be in a position where Keontre Ingram is, is we have the level of, of depth um, where, where he's able to do that because, oh my gosh, what a monster he would be uh, as a redshirt freshman next year, ready to come in and just explode all over the scene. I mean, this is a luxury uh, and I, I like your take. I don't know if it's going to be the case, um, but Probably if not. it does, I, I think that's good. I mean, I'll say this. I think in Texas, unless you have a, a supreme talent, um, you know, your, your, your Rickies, your, your Jamals, your, your Earls, um, even, even, even Deontay to some extent, who is a fantastic running back, um, then you're a product of your environment, right? It's the guys that, you know, are around you that say how good you can be. And I don't know that we have any of those talents, but I think we, one, one thing I think we'll see is those running backs can all catch the ball. Every guy we talked about, plus the, the depth guys that are, that are on there, you know, Kirk O'Grines and, and, uh, and, and Ingram, I, th- I think from in high school as well, um, can all catch the ball. So that's just another asset is, is the offense in, in college football and the Big 12 evolves. That's important. So I like to see that. Um, but I think we have a bunch of guys who can get, um, can get involved. I think, um, I think if Trey Watson looks as good as it, he could be then then that is the the option for ingram to to maybe not be as involved as early and maybe he only plays four and like with the new rule in red shirts which would be 
fantastic. And if we could even save him to get some more, you know, just game time practice reps, everything. And, and those four are, you know, I'll say um, last two games of the season, first game of the college football playoffs and the national championship game, then fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I kid, I kid. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that um, Watson is probably – uh, he's more elusive than fast, but you know he can do everything, and he's also a plus blocker. So I think he will be our third down guy. Um, one guy we didn't talk about, and I think it's okay to leave it there, uh, is Kyle Porter. Um, he's a good guy. Kyle Porter um, does all the right things. You know he he's academic all all Big Twelve last season. He you know he's in, in every way except producing on the football field. He's a likable guy, so I wish him all the all the best. But I don't necessarily want to see him getting the ball. Kirk Kirk O'Grines is a guy who we always talk about and never gets there. Let this be the year. Great. Any of these options, you know, whichever path, choose your own adventure we go down, I'm fine with. Tristan Houston is another guy like a porter. I think he's had three different staffs, and he hasn't been able to, to get the crack, even though he looks talented. So I don't think we'll see that this year. So, I mean, the guys we talked about is, is where it goes, one of those paths, um, or a combination of all of those paths. And it really is a true running back by committee where everyone's good. Um that's great. I think we're going to be improved. I think we're going to have one guy have 400 yards plus rushing this year. You heard it here first. I know that's a hot take. Woo. But I think someone has at least that, if not two guys, right? Why not? Why not have two 400-yard rushers and a, and a 380-yard rusher and feel pretty good about it, along with whatever you get out of the quarterbacks and your jet sweeps and your other options? So running back undoubtedly will be improved, and I think like we talked about for 20 minutes, the, the offensive line will have something to do with that. I think the the biggest thing that we get out of these first two conversations is one um, options. There haven't been options in the last couple of seasons, and that, or at least last year, I guess uh, there were there weren't options last year, and that's why I felt so bleak. Is that there there were the guys that were there, and they were not playing very well, and now there are options, and I think that's huge. And the other thing is, man, again, a guy who who you've seen this comparison made, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Kirk, Kirk Johnson, Kirk O'Grines is, is Fozzie Whitaker who had the same early injury problems and now has had a pretty decent NFL career. Um, so I, you know what, if that happens, I'm happy. And you know what? Fourth quarter Porter, like he, he's, he's not a bad guy. He's not a headache. He's a character guy. And I'm fine with that. Every team needs character guys. Every team needs a guy who's, not going to be the guy who who's going to go out and play really hard, but he's going to be the guy who goes out and practices his tail off and shows kind of the younger guys what to do. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. He's going to, he's going to be great for Texas's graduation rate. He's going to be great for their lack of headaches. And I'm fine with that. Uh, but these first two positions kind of build to where, or what everybody is coming to this show to hear about is the quarterback spot. Um, we we've said it before and we'll say it again. A good offensive line and a serviceable running game gives you a good performance out of your quarterback. And so, still don't know who the starter is going to be. Hasn't been named yet. However, reports are out from uh, specifically 24-7 sports uh, that today's scrimmage, so Saturday's scrimmage, uh, this was public knowledge that the coaches felt like today's or Saturday's scrimmage was going to set the two deep for the offense and set the two deep for the defense. And from reports... Shane Bouchelle got the majority of your first team reps and on his first uh, series took a 
scoring drive down the field against the first team defense. And so according to these reports, again, Shane Bouchelle played a lot more than the other guys in Saturday's scrimmage. And so um, you and I have gone on record saying that we are team Bouch. At least I know I am. Uh, and that's nothing against Sam Ellinger. I just think that Shane Bouchelle is a much better passer and a much better decision maker uh, in the backfield, especially when he can rely on a clean pocket and a uh, consistent play action threat. So, we still don't know. We're reading tea leaves at this point, but what do you think the quarterback spot is going to look like in 2018? I hate to say this, but I think we're going to be in for another season where we see both of those guys play a good amount. Um, if we don't see that, it means that one of them has been able to take a step up. And I don't know if that's purely by their efforts or by a product of the situation. Um, I think we both like Bouchelle from the sense of, the things that he has, the the, the intangible skills and, and the ability um, to to kind of read and have a quick cognitive recognition and, and, and get the ball um, downfield, especially forearm injuries when he had a little bit more lively arm. Um, so I think in an ideal world, we have Bouchelle throwing the ball, you know, as good or better than he ever has. He's really conditioning recovered and, and gotten stronger um, strength wise, having good good vision that he already has with the time to do it. He does have a problem with dropping his eyes a little bit when he gets pressure. Um, it doesn't quite have the, the um, intangible mobility. He's a better runner than people give him credit for, but the intangible mobility that I think um, Ellinger has and in an offense that Herman, it's not a, it's a, it's a feature, not a bug. The quarterback's going to run in a Herman offense. I think either of these guys can do it, but I think Ellinger has, has the ability to, you know, turn nothing into, into something and maybe even to a big something um, a little bit, a little bit better of the two. Um, but, if, if it's a Bouchelle offense, it means that A, he's made those steps, and B, the offense is built to those strengths where you have a line that you feel confident in that gives you more than a three-step drop, that lets plays develop, that gives you downfield, you know, that, that gives you the the big playability of a Colin Johnson that Bouchelle is, or, or a Burt, you know, who, who Bouchelle had a good um, – a couple good throws to, you know, in, in his freshman year. Like, I, I think either way, I think um, – if he's playing, then it's it's indicative of, of a few things outside of just he won the quarterback battle. And I think whoever ends up in the backfield um, as quarterback has a advantage that it feels like nobody has had for the last, I don't know, five, six years, and that's they get to play under the same offensive system for two consecutive years. Right. I mean – even if it is, even if it is Tim Beck, and I know Texas, we have a tradition of hating the offensive coordinator. And even if you hate Beck, paying playing for the same system, the same guys, the same coach for two consecutive years will pay unbelievable dividends. If you are running a four verts offense or whatever the uh, da bomb on NFL Blitz was, I don't care. Just running it two years in a row is going to make you better at running it. And so I think that's an underlooked uh, aspect. I do want to say one thing about Ellinger because I think. I think it's easy to chalk up, you know, to go to the narrative. Plucky freshman kid comes in, you know, uh, makes great plays, but has boneheaded mistakes, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, due to Bichelle, Bichelle being being knocked up, I, th- I think Ellinger had a load on him. And I went back and looked at this that, that proportionally was greater than any quarterback in the University of Texas history. I want to say that again, um, more than Vince Young or Colt in their Heisman, uh, should have been both Heisman uh, seasons, um, you know, and in Vince Young in the greatest game ever played, um, Vince, you know, one set of footprints because Vince carried the whole team Rose Bowl. Um, even in those those games, they did not do or were not asked to do what 18 year old true freshman 
uh, Ellinger was asked to do. I mean, the kid came in and in his second start ever against USC, he had 40 passes and 19 runs. That's 59 total plays accounted for. Uh, against OU, you know, the rivalry game, he came in 39 passes, 22 runs, 61 plays accounted for. Against Kansas State, he had 70. He had 50 passes and 20 runs uh, called. You know, that's 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 un- unreal that this this many things were supposed to go through that guy. Vince Young in that Rose Bowl when he did everything had 59. That's 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 uh, that's Sam's second start as an 18 year old kid. It's an unbelievable task. He always he never was equipped for success in that way. Um, you know, he eclipsed Vince, Vince's game three times in his, in his six starts as a freshman. His first four starts, he went one and three. But just remember, there was a point differential of 11 points. Uh, that usage rate, you know, it makes Allen Iverson blush. You know, that makes it, it – it's unreal what was asked of the kid. And so if he's the quarterback – I think you have to set him up for success as well. I mean, we have a narrative already written for what Ellinger can do, and I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think he benefits from a line that's good as well. I think, obviously, if a line you know, in a running back game are both working, he benefits from that just the same way that Michelle does. So the, the way that I think everyone has written this narrative that it goes two divergent ways, um, I think we need to realize that you know, I think the, the, the rising tide lifts all boats thing absolutely works here. Quarterbacks will be, again – more experience, even, even Michelle, more experience, more game time. Um, another year, you know, he's not an old guy, even though he's played a lot. And Ellinger, the kid's like, you know, Hey, now, uh, now I've been to, uh, to, uh, one of my, my high school reunions one year, you know, like <laughs> just, just think about that. You know, like he's, he's got to go back for one homecoming game, you know? Uh, so I think if he leaves the offense, it could be a different, 2018 Ellinger even than we saw this past year. I don't think that's necessarily indicative of all that he can give you. Yeah. And I think I say you and I are, are team Bouchel and that's not because we're low on Ellinger. It's because we're high on Bouchel and what he did. You know, I did the research and you know what? Shane Bouchel's freshman year was one of the top 10 all-time passing seasons in, in Texas history. And it is what it is. And that's why I have faith in, in Shane Bouchel. But I think Sam Ellinger is the guy who has that, um, he has that thing where he just leads men. And I think if he's the guy in there in the fourth quarter and it's a close game, I think he's the guy that can make a gutsy play. One of the boneheaded plays that he made in the Oklahoma State game specifically, I am not saying this is as a fact. This is not me accusing anybody of anything. But there are indicators that he may have not been all the way there for that pass. So we'll just leave it at that. So I think, um, and again, it wasn't like he was out there just crapping the bed. Like he was playing well and had a couple of bad spots and looked like a kid who was in high school a year ago, who was six months removed from renting a tuxedo for prom. Like, and that happened. So I'm again, I'm not mad at either of them. I think, I think Cam rising is the best quarterback on campus. Yes. Uh, agree. I think either one of these guys playing this year is not a bad thing. And I think Bouchelle gives Texas a better chance at completing long passes. And I think Sam Ellinger is the guy who can hold up better to what Tim Beck refers to as an offense. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put two quick points on, on this to, to, to kind of close it out here. I do think um, for me to give it to Bouchelle, he, Bouchelle is not the guy who will, who will be the catalyst that inspires shocks, ignites a bad offense. But he can make a competent offense 
great. I think Ellinger is the guy who you're playing if you don't feel confident about all the other things because he can he's the one who can turn nothing into at least something and maybe even something really good. But um, what I think is that Cam Rising has the potential to be an all-time Texas quarterback. I hope they really exercise the redshirt um, rules and both these guys get playing time as well as an extra year. And this is the battle we're talking about in the future um, with these two guys who could end up being the two best quarterbacks on campus talent-wise, you know, out of the four we have. Um, but having four dudes is awesome. We've said that before. We've said that before. But one thing I will say that Cam Rising has that none of these other guys have, and Colt McCoy even had it at some point in his career, a fantastic mustache. Got it. Got to love that lip <laughs> lettuce. So uh, we've gone way longer than I anticipated, but we're going to keep going. This is going to be a long one. Uh, we're going to roll wide receiver and tight end up into each other because they kind of seem to swim in the same pool. But last year, like most things, the wide receiver spot was just kind of inconsistent. And I don't know if it's all of the players' fault. I think there were some weird staffing decisions that happened. But it seems like uh, the writing on the wall that the, the first three guys out of the huddle will be Colin Johnson uh, and Devin DuVernay on the outsides and then little Jordan Humphrey playing in the slot with Gerard Hurd uh, getting significant reps there as well. Uh, we got news that John Burt is hurt but is expected to be back. Uh, guys that are shooting up the depth chart are talented freshmen. I feel like we're saying this a lot. Brendan Eagles and Joshua Moore. Uh, This is the most talented group on the offense. I'll say it unequivocally. This is the most talented group on the offense. So what is the expectation with a group that has this experience, that has this talent, and has three legitimate options at tight end in Andrew Beck, uh, Brewer, and Laytow? I'll say this. um, I want to see this year superstars. I want to see... where you don't have to have so much depth uh, or rotation, I should say, because the guys who are out there are, are, are so good. How could you imagine not putting the ball in their hands? Um, my favorite of the receivers is little Jordan Humphrey. I think the potential for the best and who should be the, the, the bell cow and the anchor this year, um, you know, as a junior and, and, and really as a guy who's been on campus for a while is Colin Johnson. I mean, Colin Johnson, after that USC game, I think we both salivated and said, here it is. He's figured it out. You know, he, he just looked, and the whole offense really looked like, man, this is going to be something. We actually have something this year. Um, even with, with Connor Williams out, we were able to make something happen against a really good team. Um, what I want to see from Colin Johnson is separating some from press coverage. With You're, you're that big. And for Colin Johnson, I'm going to say this right here. 50-50 balls should be, should be 70-30 balls, should be 80-20 balls, should be 90-10 balls. That guy should be winning every jump ball when you're six inches taller than the guy who's trying to trying to stop you when your vertical in theory is three inches higher than the guy who's covering you, you should be able to go up and get balls. You know, it should be like Mike Evans. I mean, I'm not going to get into the, was Johnny Manziel actually that good? Or was Mike Evans unbelievably elite and underrated? Although that's the case um, on this, on this uh, podcast, but he should be Mike Evans where anytime a quarterback has a problem, just throw it up. Your giant, enormous guy with, you know, super hands will go get it. Uh, if he does that, if those things come together and, you know, the feet he has for a guy his size, the big play and wild catch ability that he has that we've seen in practice, seen occasionally in games. If that happens, we might be talking about NFL draft pick Colin Johnson because if he puts the year together that he's capable of, he's already got the tools. That's what NFL scouts are salivating over. He just has to show it on the field. So if that's the case, you know, you got a Sunday guy and I'm fine. Go do it. Go do it, big fella. But uh, he's the one I'm ready. And I know you, you feel very strongly about him, but ready to see, uh, separate himself from from the pack this year. 
imagine this scenario. You go, you decide you want to go four wide receivers. You've got Colin Johnson, probably drawing a double coverage. You've got Devin Duvernay on the opposite side. And then you've got a 6'5 guy in the slot in Lil Jordan Humphrey. And you've got Gerard Hurd, who is crazy quick out of his cuts and runs amazing routes. That is that is an ideal situation. And I think a year ago, like all of the offense, the receivers and tight ends, one, the tight ends were just decimated by injuries. You had your top three guys all get hurt. Um, but when your quarterback can't stand in the pocket and make reads, then obviously your receivers are going to struggle. When your quarterback can't stand up and go through his progressions, when it's first read and run, your receivers are going to struggle. And so... Again, if the offensive line is better and the running game is better, that means the quarterback's better. That means that Colin Johnson gets well-thrown balls. And I think Colin Johnson, we saw the video early in, in spring practice of him battling for some balls and making a ridiculous catch. Um, there is nobody in the Big 12, really, that should be able to check Colin Johnson. And with Colin Johnson probably presumably drawing double teams and Devin DuVernay sprinting down the field as the fastest man on the field, uh, John Burt also is in that running. He's hurt, so not having as much of a conversation, but I think when he's healthy, he'll be good. You've got a guy that's 6'5 playing the slot. Like, that to me is just insane. I, there's no other words than that. You've got a guy who's ironically named Lil Jordan who's 6'5", playing the slot. And so your nickelback is going to have to try to keep up with a 6'5", slot receiver. And I don't think any team can do that. Yeah, or or you have the misfortune of having a tight end get matched up against him when he, again, is bigger and going to be, at that point, a speed mismatch. And also probably just, you know, with the offseason work, he's looking like a monster, probably as as strong and weighs as much as that linebacker, but can outrun him by .2 in a 40. So, he should be in theory the greatest mismatch in the Big 12. It shouldn't you shouldn't be able to cover him. There's no way to do it unless, you know, you have two plus six foot corners who can run, you know, four fives, four fours, who you can put one of them on the outside on Johnson and move one in and just have him shadow uh Lil Jordan. I mean, side note, I would love um to to have Lil Jordan finally, you know, go down and, and do something wild this year so we can put the debate uh, to bed about uh, little Jordan versus uh, little LeBron, who, who I'm going to call, uh, I'm going to call uh, Gerard Hurd, little LeBron. So we can finally get the, uh, finally get the, uh, the Jordan versus LeBron. Who's the greatest, uh, who's the greatest put to bed this year. And, I, and I'm hoping it'll be, it'll be little Jordan. Um, no offense to, to my boy Gerard Hurd, but uh, little Jordan just should be a hundred yards a game guy because he's, he's uncatchable. And, you know, just side note, he did that in a half in the spring game on seven catches while also playing running back and running for two touchdowns. So um, the guy can do it and he should do it. Those two guys should be um, first and second team or both first team, all big 12 this season. And then I'll finally be happy and stop harking on, on them not living up to potential. I, I completely agree. So let's move on to the defense and we're going to start. We, we ended with receivers on offense. So we're going to start with defensive backs on defense just it feels it feels thematically like the right thing to do and it's also probably the cleanest group to talk about so uh the defensive backs seem to be uh shaping up pretty nicely we talked about it uh you know early on with with um you know bonnie and cuffy transferring uh it seems like the young guys are stepping up and if you know john bonnie transfers 
pretty sure that means that Caden Stearns and possibly even BJ Foster have passed him on the depth chart. Uh, and so it looks like the first four to five guys on the field are going to be Boyd, Devontae Davis, Caden Stearns, uh, a combination of uh, Locke and Brandon Jones, and then one of Kobe Boyce, Anthony Cook, or BJ Foster at the nickel, which I don't, I don't know about you, Kyle, but that feels almost unfair. Yeah, I mean, we, we said it before the show and we were kind of talking about this a little bit. I, I think that Chris Boyd um, is a Thorpe potential player, the next great in a production and assembly line of great um, defensive backs at the University of Texas who will play in the NFL on Sundays for 15 years or 12 years. Um, I, I think that's, that's going to happen. That's my hottest take I have this year is that he's going to step up and put it all together. Um, but I think besides that, you could look back in a few years and, and it'd be one of those moments like when you look back on the 05 team, for instance, and you just think like, wow, all of those guys were on the same team. Like, wait, there's there's three pro bowlers and, and six dudes who play start every week on Sundays and, and two more guys who, you know, are contributors on NFL. Like this is a deep, talented pool. Um, when you say, yeah, it's these five guys. Sure. I think it could be any of eight guys right now, probably um, that see the field in, in week one. And I, and I feel good about it. I feel comfortable about it. Um, like I, you know, I said, Boyd is a guy I like Devonte Davis is a guy who's feast or famine, but the last time we saw him play, he, it was in the Missouri game when he stepped in for kind of Holton Hill, who, you know, by the way, congrats to Holton Hill. who seems to be getting his stuff together in the NFL level and doing all right. But, um, he, he came in and he had, I think it was six tackles, a forced fumble, and I believe a pass breakup. Um, you know, it was a guy who was really the, the unfavored son, um, and so that's the last thing we saw. Now that now the kid's coming in uh, for a, for a senior season um, again is in the shadow of Chris Boyd, who's really you know the, been the one we've talked about uh, all off season. But you know, I want Devontae Davis to go get himself drafted. You know, he can be a big hit guy with the type of safety play we have over the top. He can be um, a guy who's strong and can really handle receivers out the press and and you know doesn't have to have that blazing recovery speed that some of the other guys on the roster have. Um, you know. He's been a little nicked up, and so him being consistent, we'll see whether he's the guy who's playing, you know, starting every game, or if someone else gets a chance and then never relinquishes it. Because that's how talented these young kids are: is that if they see the field, good luck getting them off. Yeah, and I, I will say it in a minute. I've I've taken shots at Devonte Davis because he he was very feast or famine last year, and you know what? I want him to be good. I I I firmly believe that that. Devontae Davis is more of the good flashes than he is the bad flashes. I think his true level of talent and ability is the best plays he makes. And that that is my firm opinion. Because, you know what? Numbers don't lie. And he's he's a 6'2", 190-plus cornerback who can run a little bit. And you give me those you give me those numbers, and he was good enough to be a top fifty player coming out of Florida. And so he's a guy that I think is a has a really good potential to play incredibly well. He has the potential to play incredibly well, and I think it's just between the ears. And I think if he can clean up those mental mistakes, because that's really every every famine play we had from him, it just seemed like he took a bad angle. Or he turned his hips when he shouldn't have, or he made the wrong read and, and peeled off on the wrong the wrong you know receiver. It, it wasn't a physical thing because when he made these mental mistakes, he was good enough to still be near the receiver. And so I think that for me, uh, at least anecdotally, shows that he's a guy that can play really well. But like you said, I'm not 
when we said on offense, redshirt the young guys, I don't feel the same way about the defensive backs. I think if if B.J. Foster and Anthony Cook can come in and actually contribute, same with Caden Stearns. I think Caden Stearns has the potential to go down as an all-time at Texas. And that's not just because he hails from the uh, SCUC. What's up? Uh, I think that he's just – there's a reason why he was a five-star late riser. There's a reason why he was already on campus making waves when rivals in 24-7 announced that they were giving him a fifth star. Um, but we saw in in spring, Anthony Cook was matched up one-on-one with Colin Johnson and made Colin work for it. So I think play whoever's the best combination of five to six guys and let them work. Because I think this group um, can be what the what the front seven was a year ago. Yeah, and I mean, you think about it. it this is this is in in the past ten years of Texas football, one of our most um, experienced groups, and that's with John Bonney leaving. But that defensive backfield, we talk about the youth. There's seventy plus starts, um, you know, just in that in that group right there. But Chris Boyd, PJ Locke, Brandon Jones, uh, Devontae Davis. You know, there's there's a lot of of experience and guys who you know were huge recruits themselves who, who've done it pretty well. Um, you know in their time on the 40 acres. And then you throw in the raw potential and it's the perfect balance. This is the way our online dynasties went back in the day when that was a thing, uh, RIP NCAA football 14. Um, but when we would just be in year 12 and, you know, we just had a team full of five stars and everyone was rated anywhere between 98 and 93. And, you know, it was just these epic battles because everyone was superhuman and you had the young guys who could play, you know, that's what we're doing right now. I mean, this defensive that group has that potential to be to be an all timer. Um, you know, just a couple guys who we didn't talk about. Shout out to, of course, Stearns, two and zero Countdown City uh, represents Central Texas. Um, one guy who I really like to keep the basketball thing um, going is 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 Lil Kobe Boyce. Um, I think I'm just going to throw Lil basketball player name forever. Uh, but Kobe Boyce is a dude who like just rocked the practice squad um, last year, and and the, even the players they called it Boyce Island. Um, you know, because he was that good, and so I think there's a lot of excitement. Um, Josh Thompson is a guy who, you know, should slot right in and maybe start at Nickelback, maybe, um, maybe hold that down over some of the young guys all, all season. If, you know, he's, he has kind of the, the talent to do, uh, all the multiple things he's physical, he's quick. Um, you know, I, I, I really, I really like PJ Locke for what he can do. Um, he's probably going to move, uh, back to that safety spot out of the nickel and, and just, he's so intelligent. I mean, just FYI graduated magna cum laude and top 5% of his high school class. You know, that's awesome. I love that. Um, we talked about with Jake McKenzie, like I love dudes who are really longhorn contributors, but you know, embody the university spirit and do all the things well. But I mean, you take that intelligence, he's a willing hitter, you know, can come up and run support, but also kind of thick enough to, uh, uh, to come in and get running backs and tight ends, but quick enough to get back uh, and also, you know, do fine in, in, uh, in man coverage. We'll see how kind of laterally in his own coverage he's able to do. And then Brandon Jones, I mean, a guy who I have so much hope for and, and Todd Orlando said that he's been exceptional. And that makes me just think if he is the guy who we're not talking about until this late in the, in the primer, you know, wow, there is talent here because Brandon Jones has the potential to be Earl Thomas. Like, he or 98% of Earl Thomas. Or there's only one Earl Thomas. I love you, Earl. But you know, like he's so freaking good and he has so many just fundamental tools to be an elite, elite safety with the size and the speed. Uh, and we've seen him come up and, and make big hits and we've seen him make smart breaks on balls. It's just putting that together, stringing it through um, and doing it. You know, I, I, I just think we talk about these guys and I, I bet you 
my hot take is there's going to be someone we didn't talk about in this group, whether it's Montreal Estelle or Chris Brown or, you know, one of the other guys that is on this, on this squad that, that steps up and ends up being like, how do we miss that guy? How do we not see that coming? Of course, of course. Yeah. He's great. Like there's so much talent and there's still going to be someone because this is a, this is a target rich environment. So, you know, this is the spot I feel the best about. And I think also uh, Craig, Craig Nivar and Jason Washington are phenomenal coaches. I think so talent coaching this, this group is ready to be the one that anchors uh, this Texas team for, for the, for the upcoming season. I have to say this about PJ Locke, and and yes, I kind of glossed over him because he's probably not going to be the guy with the long NFL career, uh, but it says a lot that he was the guy that was voted as a captain in his junior year. He's a leader on the field. He's a, he's a leader among men. And I think when, when push comes to shove, like those are the guys you want in the foxhole with you. Uh, but let's move on down the road and talk about linebackers. So linebackers, I have dubbed uh, a mile wide and an inch deep, <laughs> I think is the best way to describe the linebacker position right now. Um, so, you know, we've seen uh, injury problems and suspension problems. Uh, there's a lot to, to be said. Um, suspensions carrying over from last year, which I still think is dumb. Uh, but what it looks like, at least right now, is that when everybody is there and playing is that Gary Johnson, Anthony Wheeler, and Malcolm Roach will be your first three guys, which is a legitimately terrifying first three, at least biceptually, if we're looking at it from that angle. And then you've got... <laughs> Sorry, I, I misheard biceptually uh, for a moment there, so I apologize for, for derailing the podcast. Keep going, please. Let's just keep moving. No, it's fine. Um, then you've got Townsend, Asai, and Byron Vaughns uh, behind them. So I think that's a really good group. But, um, you know, Overshone, who was getting some reps at linebacker, and uh, Adele, I was what we're going to call him, uh, and McCullough are all injured, kind of probably missing uh, significant amounts of time. So really, it's a six-man rotation at linebacker for the foreseeable future after the first half of the Maryland game. So um, speaking outside of biceps, Kyle, uh, what is uh, what is your read on the linebacker position? Well, I'll start right with the guns. I'm excited for Anthony Wheeler. I'm excited for what I've seen in practices in spring game, uh, especially um, there was – we used to joke uh, with, with the Barking Carnival guys, especially used to joke that, that they called him the mummy um, because uh, he did this kind of mummy shuffle where he stood up and shuffled his feet, you know, on the, on the start of a play. And, 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 you know, he was a monster. He was strong. He, he was fast. He was smart, but it's like that little thing, that little, and, and it's actually funny when we talked to Kyle Krabs about, about Malik, he didn't say that, but kind of that same thing about that instant decision-making from the linebacking and how that translates to the NFL level. Um, and, and so what, what I saw from Wheeler, actually in the spring game was that, you know, he looked quicker. He looked like he tackled well in space. He was fluid. Um, he could actually cover the short passing game. Um, so I think that's exciting. And and he was motivated and pumped and, and really played well in the Missouri game. So the Maryland game will, will be a good test of where he's actually at. Um, I'll let you talk about Gary Johnson because I think you really like him. But I do want to quickly say I'm going to be watching Malcolm Roach this year on every defensive play. I, I think – I think there's some element of him in the fact that he can play all over the place, just his size, his potential to be a physical freak, his intelligence on the field, um, his ability to make some huge plays already in his Texas career. I think he was the one who made the tackle in the USC goal line stand. Um, just, just he has a big game mentality. He just needs to put it all together. And I think 
when you're replacing Malik Jefferson, when you're replacing, um, you know, a, a guy of that caliber, you're not just going to one for one replace him. And I don't think that Roach is that guy, but the guy who has a potential to slot in and do every single thing you need um, for me, I think that's, that's Roach. He might play four or five different positions in a given game. And every time he moves, I'm going to be watching where he moves and watching how that makes the defense go. He can play B back or he put his hand down some um, he's fluid. He's adaptable. Um, he, he has a, he kind of he has a feel that you know when you watch him, it's like you watch the stunts on the offensive line, and, and guys get sucked in, into that. From the moment he was a freshman, he just seemed smart. Like he knew how to use his hands, he knew how to step back, he knew how to you know how to react instantly or to hang back for a second, and just had that intangible play. Um, and, and then making the best beeline to the quarterback that he could, given that. Um, and I think you know we're going to talk about some other guys who are going to get some some sacks. I think Roach has the chance to 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 both pick up a little bit of the slack from both Puna Ford. And Malcolm, not that he plays either of those exact positions, um, but in the dynamic kind of defensive playmaking and how he both makes plays and frees other guys up to make plays. So for me, uh, the way Malcolm Roach steps up in this year um, is going to be the telltale of how far this defense can go and how elite it actually can be under, you know, one of, if not the best defensive coach in the country. I think that, like I said, kind of leading this up, this is a supremely talented group of linebackers. I mean, I think the way that I think the way that Roach goes is the way that the rest of the group goes. Like you said, um, I think when you look at what the, what changed about the Texas defense about, you know, 40% of the way into the season, it was the addition of Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson came in touted as a massive Juco transfer. Was like, he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the other guy with Malik and he's going to make the difference. And he was backing up Anthony Wheeler. And then when the lightning package became a thing, Gary Johnson comes in and people are like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a guy who weighs 220 pounds that can also still run a, like 10, 900 meter dash. A 10, 5, 9 that he won the 5A Alabama State 100 meter championship with, which is silly stupid. That's probably also like 40 pounds ago, though. So we take that. So he's probably a, a, a step or so slower than his high school running speed, but he's a fast guy, is what I'm trying to say. So it, it worries me the depth in this group, but I think when the first three to six guys are on the field, there's not going to be many better. I think when, you know, when you've got Roach, when you've got Wheeler, when you've got Johnson starting, and you've got the Shark McCullough behind them, Freeman, Dele, Overshow, I think when those guys are healthy and able to keep a fresh body on the field, I don't think there's an offense in the Big 12 that can handle that level of talent. And I'm just, I'm thinking right now of our defensive coaching staff just drooling at this. Like, when the injuries are completely cleared and this group is healthy, imagine in the third quarter or fourth quarter having a fresh Gary Johnson and Malcolm Roach just keying off on a offensive lineman's back foot. Oh, that offensive lineman took a wrong step, nose to the grindstone, I'm going after the quarterback. Like, that to me is is just recipe for success. And so I'm not trying to get too excited about this group because, again, Injuries happen and there have been injuries to that group and the depth is depleted. But I think when this group is at its best, it is going to be a really talented group of players. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think we have to talk about here that, that, you know, we have some freshmen who came in and, and kind of because of the depth issues were, were slotted in. Um, I think Overshone 
and uh, what are we calling him? Do we decide on a nickname? Dele. Okay, we'll call him Dele for the sake of, of not butchering any names. Um, both were guys who were getting reps and looking like they were going to be in, and their injuries are both kind of TBD, but but seem to be somewhat you know serious. So um, they had a chance to come in and, and contribute a little bit. So now you know with with some of the other attrition at that position, um, I think the way McCullough steps up and he can play it like Broach. He can play B-back or Rover, has a lot of flex- flexibility. This is his third year. A step up from him um, makes me feel so much better. And again, we could play 45 defensive backs. You know, not that would be illegal. We could play as many as like seven defensive backs at any given time. So I get it. Linebacker in Big 12 and, and, and in that role can be a different expectation than your father's, um, you know, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers or whatever, um, or, or I believe Miami Dolphins in your case. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit fluid, but not having those guys, I am, I am really hoping that whether it's Cameron Townsend or, or, or someone else, you know, steps up and looks like a guy who can play, who's a, who's a, who's a Longhorn type contributor. Uh, you know, I'll take a Scott Derry at this point, just a guy who can play and contribute and, and be a dude who's on the field, who's, who's, you know, not going to kill you. So um, like you said, I think you, you summed it up perfectly. We are stacked at the top, but I have, uh, I have just a little bit, of, a little bit of heartburn about what happens um, underneath that. Ayadele Adeoye, which I would have never gotten to on my own, but that's how that name is pronounced, by the way. You were, you were only a day away from uh, getting that one right. <laughs> Man, Kyle, I love it. That's our first actual pun of the season, so I love it. Uh, so let's let's continue on down the line and get to the defensive line. Uh, so this group has a lot of experience and a lot of talent, uh, but again, past the first guy's we're not really sure. So uh, the man we call Chuck, Charles Amenahu and Breck Hager seem to be holding down the edges. Uh, and then, you know, Nelson in the middle, big body can't stop me. Uh, pull a nine, eight. I'm a sell a million copies. I had to complete that. So Chris Nelson in the middle. Uh, oh man. Uh, gosh, I just derailed myself. So those seem to be the first three guys uh, in the offensive line uh, running. Texas is probably going to continue to run a, Three, three, five. Look, because it's the Big Twelve. So, what do you think about this group? I, I, I have my thoughts on on the defensive ends, and I'll let you cue that up. But Kyle, what are your thoughts on you know Chuck Breck and and Chris? I think we might actually have our first uh, serious disagreement here. I think I think Chuck is is legit. I think he um, is a guy who, who his first step gets better and better as he plays um, more and more at that end role. Um, and, and can play along the line if we need him to move around. But um, he's using his hands well. He, he kind of is seeming to put it all together. And he, he's a guy who thought about going pro because he really was kind of coalescing at the right time. But I think one more year uh, is going to really do wonders for him. I think he's certainly um, going to put up a, a healthy sack tally this year, you know, maybe even a, a double digit if things really, really break right for him. Um, and that will help his NFL value uh, because – I think he's going to rush her, but he can also hunker down a little and, and play inside uh, on some run stopping. So, I mean, let's not forget the dude uh, is 270 pounds and posted a 37 and a half inch vertical. So he's a freak. Um, so I, I'm, I'm all in on him. I, I, I'm not out on Chuck. I think Breck Hager's the guy that worries me. I think. Okay. So maybe we're more in agreement than I thought we were. Um, I, I'll leave it there and I'll say, I'll say, I think Hager has the potential to make, six plays this season that no one else on the team could have made. And it's unbelievable. And it might even be a game winning play. It could be an OU and he has a strip, you know, in a crucial time. I don't know. He's going to do something great. 
I worry about the other plays with him. Um, he emerges a late season force kind of with his hand down, proven that he could do it there uh, with, with dude 60, 70 pounds heavier than him. And he just looks like an absolute monster physically. So I, I'm not super worried about him as a, as a, as a pass rusher dealing with there. His motors, fantastic. All of the, all the things. I mean, he has the family name to, to know that he can be a fantastic player. Um, I'm just worried about the expectation on him, the level that we're banking that he can do that every play um, that, you know, he can create that pressure needed that lets our defensive backs be big plays and doesn't put so much pressure on our linebackers to do everything uh, in the run game. So maybe we're in agreement. What do you think? I mean, what, how do you feel about the the other end about, about Breck or I'll, I'll say, I'll say uh, uh, Spicoli on steroids. Breck Hager to me is the guy who you simultaneously love and hate to have at your party where it is a blast but every four times he comes over, he's going to break your parents' coffee table. Like that is the best way I can explain my my feelings about Breck Hager. Like his his enthusiasm, his motor, like he's gonna be the guy that that pulls guys along with him. But I just I and again, it was a new position for him, it was a new role for him. I just don't know if fundamentally he is going to be the guy who's in position every time. I don't know if fundamentally he's going to be the guy who keeps his head on straight when things need to happen. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that doesn't make a dumb 15-yard penalty that keeps the drive alive. And that's my, those are my big concerns about Hager. I think physically and athletically, I think Breck Hager is second to none. I think Breck Hager is one of those guys who... You know what? You want him in your party, but I think when when push comes to shove, I, I need to see more heady play from him before I'm fully comfortable. Yeah, and, and here, he's a guy, I'll, I'll say this. Um, we, we can talk a little bit more about the line, but I think it's an important thing to note. This is where a Todd Orlando comes in. I think, you know, if they play the dirty dime, the 3-2-6, or if they go beefy with with like a Hager-Nelson, maybe Graham uh, Omenahu, that's Taquan Graham. Um, you know, they can do either well with Malcolm Roach flexing in. I think this is where Todd Orlando kind of listing secondary, bringing different looks, switching it up, scheming, just being what I think of him as an absolute genius. I think this is where that comes in handy because I think it's it's kind of crazy to have the, the Hager and Omenahu both have um, interior quickness kind of um, that could make things interesting from that, that three-man line especially. So um, what Orlando does with this line group to me is another one of the most important and intriguing uh, storylines heading into the season. So I think it, we've landed on the fact that the offensive line is probably the one with the most questions and the biggest upside. Uh, and on the defense, the defensive line may be the one with the biggest upside and, and the most concerns maybe. Yeah. I think the biggest talent and the most potential for letdown. Um, I'm just trying to be honest here, Longhorn fans. I, I, I don't want that to be the case. Um, I think Chris Nelson's best case, you know, Chris Mel- Nelson, uh, isn't just an academic all big 12 player, but it, you know, somehow is a sniffing a, a second team or something, all big 12 for, for having a monster year as a senior year. Uh, take one Graham, a guy who a lot of people are really, um, high on and has, has really done a lot this offseason as a sophomore coming in and being a next, uh, next great kind of, um, interesting line prospect who really blossoms kind of later in his career for Texas. Um, you know, I think guys like a, like a Marquez, uh, Bimish who, you know, is, is another, he's probably going to slot in at the Hecker, the Hager role next year. Cause he's got a motor. They're playing him in different positions type of thing. I think there's, there's a lot there, a lot to like. I just, again, it's to go back to the Hager. I think this goes as far as he does. 
Can they do it every play? Can they be consistent? Can they do the things that aren't just stat stuffers for them, but make all the other guys behind them shine? Yeah, and I think if if the Big 12 is a pass rush league, the Big 12 is a pass rush league, and I think if the pass rush is consistent, if the pass rush can get it done, I think that that Texas is going to be good. And, and again, I I am down for it. So let's quickly, let's do what the people are really here for. Kyle, uh, what, what are, what is your prediction as far as how the season shakes out and, and win totals uh, for this year? Cause I think the, this team has the, the, uh, the ability to, be better than it was a year ago on the field, but will the wins and losses show it? I'm just going to put it right out there. I think Texas goes with about six wins in conference. And I think if they do that and they win, let's say, let's say both of their neutral site games, they beat Maryland, they beat OU. That's one of their conference wins. I'm calling it. It'd be good. This is the year we get it back. Um, maybe they, they lose to one of UC, USC, TCU, have a close one, but they, they squeak it out against West Virginia and, and Oklahoma State. They win one or both of those. You know, I think this could be a nine-win team. I think this could be a nine-win team in the regular season. I think this could easily be an eight-win team that wins a bowl that's a nine-win team. But I, I just feel it in my gut that this is the year that they get back to being to being a nine-win team. And if everything breaks right and they get a good bowl opponent and they're really – you know, injury bug hasn't hit them and, and their, their, their offense is coming together and the defense, you know, those seniors are really shining and, and coming together at the end of their career. Um, you know, maybe they win a big bowl and it's a 10 win team. And I, I feel okay saying, I know that's wild. We're a seven win team right now. Um, but I mean, we lost two games in overtime. We lost by 11 combined points against, you know, uh, or 14, I believe combined points against some really uh, incredibly high ranked teams, USC, uh, Oklahoma state, you know, OU games we could have. And, and, and in some cases you could argue should have, one. Um, and that was last year. And I think we think there's market improvement in a lot of areas in this team this year. So I don't mean to be too optimistic, but I'm saying it. This is a this is a nine win team with a potential for a 10th win in the bowl. I'm not too far off of that. So Vegas Superbook, as of four days ago, had them as, as an eight win team. So Vegas knows something. I, I'm a firm believer that uh, Vegas knows a lot about a lot of things. And Vegas has them as an eight-win team. And when I look down the schedule, I can see eight wins. I I, I think Maryland's going to be good, but with everything going on there, I I there's a lot happening that I think there's there's I don't want to count that as a surefire win, but I think it's a win. Tulsa, that's a win. Uh, USC in Austin, I think it's going to be a really good game, but I think USC has a lot of reloading to do. Um, can't count that as a firm win, but if you, I think they win, two, I think they win two of three non-conference. I think they they win two of three non-conference. That's that's where so they go on they go into conference play two and one. TCU terrifying, <laughs> always going to be terrifying to play TCU. Kansas State counting that as a win. So that's that's three and two right there. That's three wins right there. OU it's a toss up. I think OU is not going to be as good as people think they are. I'll count that. We'll, 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 we'll say that's four. So, uh, Baylor, that's a W Oklahoma state in Stillwater. That's where Texas beats Oklahoma state, but it's iffy. They still don't have a quarterback. Uh, you know what? Whatever. West Virginia terrifies me. Uh, we'll call it six tech. I think, I think Texas beats the tar out of tech. Uh, Iowa state that, that one's a, 
probable, but a toss up. So we'll call it, we'll call it a seven, but Kansas for sure. They win because this isn't two weird years ago. So I'm counting at least eight to nine wins, eight to nine wins right there on the schedule. So Kyle and I, you are pretty, pretty aligned there. Maybe I'm optimistic. I'm normally the pessimistic one of the two of us. Um, but I've, I think that this is going to be a good team. Now in two weeks, you could see me full of piss and vinegar after Texas completely just craps the bed and land over. I could see it happen, but I don't think so. I really don't think so with the talent that's there and the progression that they made after a year. I think though, again, Texas was legitimately three field goals away from being a, a 10 win team a year ago. Yeah. uh, You know, I don't think we're sunshine pumping too much. I mean, the, uh, I've I've heard the term the uh, the Pollyanna you know is the is the subconscious bias towards positivity right this is a books in the, the early 1900s but it's a it's a term you use for someone who's just given a Pollyanna prediction you're just you're you're, you're too you think the the market economy is going to be great this is going to be great it's, it's easy before it starts to say it's going to be good um, and I don't think we're doing that here I think we are looking at the facts as we spent I think this is now a three and a half hour podcast um, going through some things. Um, and there was there was even some things that I didn't get to that I wanted to. You know, we didn't talk about the tight end. I think we're much better there than we were. We didn't talk about guys like Duvernay at, at the outside in depth, who I think is prime for a breakout year. There's some stuff where this this offense is not going to be as even if the defense takes a step back when you lose a Puna and a Malik, even a little one. Um, if not, it could take a step forward. But even if it does take a step back, this offense undoubtedly takes two to three steps up. Um, Playing the same year in the system, I mean, there's just so many factors that that offense has to be better. The defense will, again, be very good. It's any given year. Things can happen. Injuries, whatever, whatever. Things can happen. Um, but as we sit here with all the data that we can have in front of us and taking that in, looking not only at our rosters, but looking at every team as we did in our previous week and going in depth. I mean, I don't know how many Longhorn podcasts spent a good uh, hour and a half talking Kansas uh, football, not basketball. Shout out to Andy Mitz. Thanks for coming. Um, but, you know, like we really tried to get as much as we could and, and we're taking all of that data in and we're, we're kind of consolidating and thinking through it, breaking down and running numbers and looking at it. I think this is real. Uh now, again, like you said, we might be absolutely bemoaning the state of this horrid, putrid, terrible, awful, no good, dirty, rotten team in a couple weeks. But right now, it is the offseason. We are we are inches away uh, from the first snap, the first kick, the smell of the crisp fall air and football. And we're allowed to be right now. Um, and I think we're. I think we're right where we need to be, and I hope Longhorn fans are right there with us. I, I'm with you. My closing thought for, for this and kind of why I feel the way I feel. Players at key positions a year ago were either not talented enough or not experienced enough for those little breaks in the game to go their way. I think this year, with the experience that's there and the increased level of talent across the board, this team is more, is better poised to make the right moves and the right plays when things don't break their way. I think that is the difference between this team and the previous few years of Texas football. But as we've closed all of our previews, we've done this thing. We surprised our guests with some questions that uh, are just kind of off the wall. Uh, We're calling it overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. So in the spirit of fairness, we decided that Kyle and I would each surprise each other with two of these questions. We did four to our guests, so I have two, and Kyle has two. And so, Kyle, I want to pitch it to you. You're going to kick us off. What? What? If we have to rate these, overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated, kick us off. 
All right, Gerald, overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. Remember where we come from, my friend. Austin breakfast tacos. Oh, man. That's a t- you threw a haymaker right off the top. Man, I um I'm going to say appropriately rated. Okay. I think um one breakfast tacos are one of those signs that God truly loves us. That is <laughs> that is a firm belief I have. And since moving to Oklahoma, breakfast tacos aren't as frequent of a thing and it makes me sad. Um I'm I'm a firm believer that any like steak and other things, there's no such thing as a bad breakfast taco in my book. And so Bill Miller has incredible corn tortillas. Shout out to Bill Miller. Early don't sleep on it. Um, <laughs> check out Bill Miller's breakfast tacos on corn tortillas. So I will say breakfast tacos in Austin, appropriately rated, good, and fantastic when you're in a hot rush. I, I appreciate that. We'll, we'll talk later about where you fell in the, the breakfast wars, uh, the breakfast taco wars of, I believe, 2016 San Antonio versus Austin. But, uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate the, the – I know that was a tough one, and I'm sorry, but I had to. So here, here we go. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated university – the films of University of Texas alum Richard Linklater. So let me let me put pro on this. We are, we are kind of film geeks. So you've got Slackers, Days Did Confused, Before Sunrise, Sunset, and Midnight, and that little movie called Boyhood where it took 12 years and nothing happened. Ah. <sighs> Man, I've changed my answer three times just as you were describing his movies and I'm thinking through it and, and going here. I, I mean, my, my initial reaction was to say underrated. And then I remembered how incredible Boyhead was received and overrated. And then I came back to appropriate rated. But I'm circling all the way back. This is our boy. This is Richard Linklater. This is one of the most underrated filmmakers of our generation. Underrated Richard Linklater. Um, I'll say this about Boyhood. So my uh, my dental hygienist son, um, was was his best friend, um, and 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 so for for ten years I heard updates about this Richard Linklater movie, and I was like, this is the most ridiculous! Like, are you kidding me? This is never getting made. Your son, it's it's a lie. He's going and hanging out with his friends. Like, this is a twelve year long con. Smoking pot under a bridge. <laughs> Good for him, but uh, then I saw it, and although it's not the happiest and most exciting movie, it was it was a, it was a fantastic, um, a fantastic film. Um, I think he has done. Um, some things and he's, he's shown um, he's shown a side to kind of things that we know in Texas and in Austin that, that we just take for granted. He's exposed that um, to the world. Um, I think the, I think Days and Confused is just one of the most perfect films uh, ever made. And obviously it, it is the, it is the epitome of the McConaughey, uh, not the McConaughey, but the, the original uh, indication that Matthew McConaughey could be a phenomenal actor because what a great character uh, Mr. Wooderson himself is. I think Slacker's fantastic. Um, I think the, the entire kind of Ethan Hawke, um, I think culminates in, in Before before Sunset being my favorite of them, but um, just some really, um, some really incredible film there that I don't think is talked about. I don't think outside of film buffs, you get people who really, um, who really know a lot about that. I think Scanner Darkly was a bust for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, you talk to film heads and they think, um, when he directed Waking Life, that that was like a, a pretty seminal piece that we didn't even talk about. Um, you know, he's done some things outside of it. Um, he, uh, 
he's done some kind of consulting and some producing on, on things. Um, Bernie was one that, that was one of my favorite things um, that was, that was made in the early, you know, aughts, if you, I think it came out 2010, 11, somewhere around there with Jack Black. Um, and it's a very morbid, beautiful, wonderful, dark black comedy. That's great. And I, I think he, Oh, he actually directed that as well. Sorry. I just looked that up. Um, I think link letter to go back. Sorry to not get on our, our other uh, your other podcast, two, two woke nerds. We may need to have a, a third podcast here. Um, two dudes talking about films and stuff title pending. Um, I think Richard Linkletter is underrated and is um, one of the, one of the true artists of, of our generation out there making stuff that you can see anything he did and know it was him. He has a very distinctive voice, a very distinctive style. Um, just a, just a phenomenal uh, guy. One of the best out working right now. I disagree with your take on a scanner darkly, but everything else is good. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'll, I'll hit you back then. Um, and this one I think is going to be, I think a, a, a clear, I'm going to set it up. You spike it down a clear, easy uh, lob here. Cause I felt bad about my first one overrated, underrated or appropriately rated Gregory gymnasium as the best sports venue at UT. So am I saying is Gregory Gymnasium overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated, or am I saying it as the best venue, overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? I need some context there. Um, I kind of want to hear your takes on both. I, I The second one was my question, but, but maybe if you can work the first about how it's generally rated into your answer. I think Gregory Gymnasium is probably one of the most overlooked places to see a game in Austin. Now, granted, Kyle and I are self-admitted volleyball fans. I had the opportunity of covering the Texas Longhorns at their early stages of getting ready for a national championship run under Jarrett Elliott. But I, I, there is something about like that place is sold out constantly, like every game you go to. And as as a freshman, you can walk a hundred yards from Jester to Gregory. Swipe your badge, go to a Texas game, and have a blast. And I think it's so much fun. The fans screaming, point Texas, is so much fun. Uh, volley- college volleyball is a vastly underrated sport overall. Uh, so I'm going to go just underrated because most people don't even realize that it's an incredible place. Yeah, and it's just so cool. It's old. It's historic. There's so much, I mean, just the bones of it. The, it's small. It feels cramped. It's like, I love it. It's my favorite place uh, like on campus to, to see anything, whether it's a game or, you know, we did, we did events there in college. I just, I think that is just awesome. Anyway, it's a great, great answer. You're, you're right on tracking with me. Okay. So my last one, and this is another, um, kind of Austin staple, but we'll see how we, how we feel as, as 30 somethings with a little bit of disposable income, overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated the Austin based whole foods market. Ooh, you mean Amazon's own whole foods. Um, I'm going to take a second on that and I'm going to talk while I come up with my answer about some, some things. Cause I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to find it. So I will say this, the original whole foods on, on sixth and Lamar is fantastic. I had a professor, one of the coolest professors at UT shout out to uh, professor Carrington who did a sociology and sports class and one of the most, you know, enviable humans. He's, he's, he's perfect. Um, but, uh, just smart, awesome, good guy. He did his office hours for a while, uh, at the barbecue place in, in, uh, in whole foods. And I just thought that was so cool. Their barbecue's fine. It's not the best in the world. It's pretty good, but they had all the restaurants in there and it was a place to get a little bit away from campus. And I thought it was great. Um, it's grown. I'll say that it's grown a lot. 
Um, I will say Whole Foods as an entirety is appropriately rated, but but has has a potential if you're not talking to someone who thinks of it from an Austin, Texas, Longhorn kind of in that city perspective, then it's definitely overrated because there is a Whole Foods in Houston that is terrible. I mean, everything, quality, size, food, whatever, it's just, it's bad. And maybe it's because I have the wrong comparison, but they also built one in the Galleria that has its own brewery. And they partnered with my company and let us uh, let us brew our own beer in their brewery. So if you ever see the Slalom Stout in the Houston Galleria Whole Foods, you know, that's awesome. So I'm going to say appropriately rated as a very, very cool, very good uh, company, especially with the Austin location, but skewing slightly overrated at uh, every other location outside of the original. And Jeff Bezos. At the Oklahoma City Whole Foods, I asked someone where to find something. He showed it to me and then gave me a namaste bow. No! (laughs) That happened. Overrated. I changed it. Overrated. Overrated. (laughs) No, that totally happened. And again, that is not knocking anybody's belief system. It was just a really awkward grocery store interaction. Uh, So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, With that, it brings us to the part of the show where we honor... Uh, one of the best traditions on college football and one of our favorite traditions on the 40 acres, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I'll say this. Um, I'm ready to bang the drum for whatever Longhorn football I can get a taste for. So since there's no uh, – there's no uh, for a couple more weeks, there's no Saturday games. I've been watching some of the preseason Sunday games. It's gotten low. And I'm not a big NFL guy, to be honest. I, I'm not a huge – NFL guy, I'm even, you know, considering if I take a fantasy football hiatus and, um, you know, I, I was a Cowboys fan growing up and, and meeting people from Dallas quickly cured me of that once I got to college. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I've been watching preseason some of this and I try to look at it from a Texas lens. Um, so what I've been loving is the preseason Longhorns. Um, it's It's been a failure of the system that we haven't had a lot of guys drafted and we had a few guys drafted last year. Definitely, I think, lower than they should have been due to a culture of not being elite. And we've talked about that on other podcasts. Um, so, so seeing these guys thrive and, and succeed is great. Um, obviously, Michael Dixon is the best player in the NFL. I don't think that's disputed. I think stepped on, cam- on, on uh, not campus, but we'll call that the facilities uh, on day one and was the best player in the NFL. So that's, that's, we all understand that. That's not even controversial at this point. Um, but one guy who I've been absolutely thrilled watching uh, is Chris Warren. And, and Chris Warren has really had a solid year. And, and it's going to be interesting because he's in an Oakland backfield where um, it's going to be tough to get day one carries behind Marshawn Lynch, who still has gas in the tank and still looks like a monster, um, and a really seasoned guy, Doug Martin, um, who's had a great NFL career and when not hurt, um, has a lot of uh, has a lot of potential to really, you know, really be a, uh, a real deal um, NFL solid starter. So it's tough there, but... The way Chris Warren is looking right now in the preseason, he could be a long-term option for them. He could even be a contributor uh, this season for them. Um, so, I mean, he is probably right now looking like maybe the best undrafted free agent uh, in, in the league. Um, he, you know, has rushed, uh, I believe, for 110 yards on 18 carries um, in, in, in one touchdown. Uh, oh, that was sorry. That was that was against the the Raiders in one game last game. He had 18 carries for 110 and touchdown. And in his first week, he had 86 yards on 13 carries. And a couple of those have been the Chris Warren that we thought we were going to get, where he was running people over, um, breaking tackles, kind of looking dynamic. It looks like he's he's gotten a leaner. He's listed at a svelte 246. Um, he is uh, he's running not so like hey look at me I'm an enormous target. He's running a little bit um, you know pads down behind his pads, running behind guys. 
uh, accelerating through holes and, and not being a, a giant, you know, tall statue ready to be plastered. And so it looks like a lot of the things that we wanted to see from him for whatever reason clicked this year. And again, we talked about the UT line. So I don't think he was set up for success, especially with a guy who's not a burner with his first step, who takes a second to get the train going. Um, so although there may be mixed feelings about his productivity and his career on the long on the 40 acres, he's a longhorn for life. He's a guy who, you know, had a chance to go to a, a lot of programs around the country as a big recruit in high school and chose to come to UT um, and and did, kind of did a sign there and, and now is in the NFL. And I'm really hoping uh, that this translates into a successful career that he makes the squad kind of slots in. Uh, and when Doug Martin gets hurt, inevitably will become the, the second running back in, in the Raiders and plays behind Marshawn Lynch coming in and, and giving that guy a breath. What a, what a dude to my probably favorite NFL player to play behind. So um, big ups to Chris Warren um, and all the Longhorns. Uh, shout out to Puna Ford, who looks like he's probably slotting in to get on that uh, too deep for uh, for Seattle as well. Um, had a rough first game, but a good second game. Just shout out to Holton Hill, um, who who is is looking like a just a everything we thought he'd be a really viable NFL corner. Um, you know, Nashawn Hughes getting some playing time. Looks like he's going to make a roster, I believe, in Green Bay. So, um, you know, shout out to all of those guys. I'm actually filled with joy and pride as a Longhorn um, to see that uh, that these guys are having such success. And, and even though, you know, seven wins as the pinnacle of your time on the 40 acres isn't the college career you wanted, that hopefully uh, these guys will really, uh, really, you know, carry on the Longhorn legacy in the NFL. I don't want to engage in the Chris Warren discussion because – it's amazing what happens when a talented running back has a serviceable offensive line and actually puts some effort in. Um, I'll just leave it at that. I have very, very strong feelings about Chris Warren. I don't want to have this conversation right now. Uh, so my bang the drum is uh, about some culture shift. Now, there was a lot of talk in the offseason about Tom Herman and, you know, players, former players took shots at him for taking shots at them, allegedly. And there's a lot of talk last year about, you know, players weren't bought into him and, a lot of Charlie guys weren't big fans of his, and uh, you know he's not a player's coach, and needs to win the locker room. Blah blah blah. And and so this off season, it seems like there's a culture change, a culture shift, and there's a lot of player buy-in. And and two things that happened this week really really stood out to me. So um, Herb Hand, new offensive uh, line coach, co-offensive coordinator. Um, something that they do in, in at at Texas now is that. All of the new guys have to do a performance. And Herb Hand, being a new guy, said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And he didn't just do it. Herb Hand did an incredible rendition of Microphone Fiend by Eric B. and Rakim. And it was amazing. And the players were fired up. And they were having fun. And then to cap the week off and to kind of almost close out fall camp heading into kind of your Maryland prep and your, your season grind... The coaching staff surprised the players and brought in their parents for the final day of practice. Um, and to me, that's just, it's so cool to see that, um, you know, Herman doesn't really come off like a player's coach. And then his staff does things like this where, you know what, people that say Tom Herman isn't in it for the kids and Tom Herman isn't a player's coach or Tom Herman isn't the guy, like... It's hard for me to argue with a coach who's willing to, to disrupt a very important day of practice, kind of the last practice before you set your two deep roster and bring in players, parents to have a good time. And a guy who's, you know, kind of biggest coaching hire to date is willing to make a complete fool out of himself and perform to get the kids bought into the staff. And so to me, I'm just loving 
this alignment, loving the loving the the culture change, and just what's happening on campus right now to uh, make these players buy in. It's been it's been incredible. This offseason is is the we I referenced earlier the kind of the uh, late theatrics of a, of a quiet offseason is is put some things in, into a little. I could say could could have shaken this team a little, uh, and it seems like it's gone the other way. Um, you know, I think that all the stuff around when when long run legend Frank Denius passed away as well. And the, the way they handled that, I mean, just pretty pitch perfect from, from uh, the coaching staff here at the end of the off season, heading into the season that, you know, adds to our, adds to our big time hopes and optimism for the season. Cause I think they're doing it right. So I think you hit the nail on the head too. I love it. So that is all we've got for you this week. It has been an incredibly long show, but thank you so much for sticking with us. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter and tweet at us. We will talk about your tweets on air at Longhorn Pod. You can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook them.